podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Fox Hunt begins. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's two up top, but what a two it is. And that means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Dan. Um, another packed weekend of incidents and goals. So looking forward to getting into this one with you guys. Yes, plenty of both those topics. And that also means you're joined by Fulham fan Matthew. So Matthew, I hope all is well. And how have you been this past week? You know what, Dan? Every time we come and do these <laughs> chats, I always try and put on a positive face. Things will always get better in the world of Fulham. But no, there is no light at the end of this. There is no light at the end of this tunnel. I know what we're going to talk about later on, and I just hope that I'll be able to get through it. But yes, happy to be talking to you as always, even if it is through gritted teeth. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel the tension. But yes, we will get to that topic in a bit. So before we do, I'll do the social media bits first. I will be talking to the Abyss once more. And also hi to Max, who's once again off scouting for us. Hopefully he'll be back in the fold next week. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club, which has now broken 500 shareholders. So a big thank you to everyone on Twitter there. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. Also, if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Audio Boom. While the easy way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Also, I want to give a shout to Freelance Football Opportunities on Twitter at FFOps. If you're a freelancer and looking for paid jobs at the moment, they do an excellent weekly newsletter for a Patreon contribution of about £3 or so. I cannot recommend this enough in this current climate. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? I think we must go to the Etihad card because it's dropped points for two title rivals. And yes, there's a long way to go in all of this, but cancelling each other out does neither Man City or Liverpool any favours. Yeah, I think it was a game in in the end, you suddenly, you know, by the time the second half, it kind of fizzled out a little bit, didn't it? And you you kind of looked like you had two teams who basically neither just wanted to lose and kind of concede that that kind of early season momentum to one another. Um, I think City will probably look back on that game and be slightly more disappointed because I think they had the better chances um, and the more obviously guilt-edged chances to maybe take that win. Um, And obviously... You know, we're kind of still assuming that they'll be the two teams possibly fighting it out for first or second. Um, and you always kind of think getting that early blow in and getting that three points and beating your closest rivals is seen as a bit of a momentum builder. So I think City will probably be a little bit more disappointed come the end of that game. Um, but I think both in the grand scheme of things and the way that this season has started and the kind of injuries that both have got, I think they've probably actually come away and say, well, actually a draw, probably, you know, we'd take that because, you know, neither of us kind of see like we've kind of, you know, 
lost one or taken a blow by our biggest rivals this season. Um, but it was a shame because the game, the first half was really good, I thought, you know, really open, some good football being played by both sides. And then the second half, it just kind of dipped. And I think then safety first came in um, and we saw it just play out to that draw in the end. But, you know, I think both might come away actually reasonably happy with that one in the end. So, Matthew, if we use boxing analogies here, first half, there's loads of haymakers being thrown. Second half, sparring. Now, Carl's just sort of alluded to injuries and fitness and all that. And there's obviously a clamour at the moment for more subs to come back into the fold. Can Klopp and Guardiola use that second half and the sort of the the language performance as fuel to their fire for that argument? Um, no, because I think, and this is a point that's been made quite well over like social media and everyone else, you can't make that argument and then only use like one sub each. I know Klopp had one that was sort of enforced, but one tactical change each. You know, if you we often say this with managers, like if they're like sending a statement to the board to say that they need more transfers, for instance, and they'll put like a central midfielder up top because they don't have any other options. Whereas I don't think you could uh, guys like Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola can use that defence if they don't then sort of demonstrate it. If they get to a stage where, you know, if they use three subs and then, you know, another player has to go off injured, then yes, you might be able to say, look, in this climate with, you know, packed games and, you know, international breaks cause coming up now with three games, one of them unnecessarily because friendly, so on and so forth. If you use that, you have, a, you have a case for it. But right now, I don't think Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp really have a foot to stand on on that basis. Yeah, it's a very fair point. I think it's a case of sort of lose it or use it, really, because if you are making three subs and you're down to the bare bones, in inverted commas, then yes, there's probably a case. But if you're sort of thinking, OK, I'm certainly going to chuck one on, then you can't really argue about more subs. So they've shot themselves in the foot a little bit there. But Carl, in terms of Diogo Jota, we were talking about him last week and sort of knocking on the door of a Premier League start. He solidified his case even further just hours after recording with that hat-trick against Atalanta. So we thought Firmino might make way. Instead, Klopp went one better and played the Fab Four. So what did you make, of all things, 4-2-4? Four, four? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think Liverpool looked as comfortable as they, as they always no. have. So I, I can't see Klopp possibly going with that going forward. You know, I think what you're probably going to see, you know, you're not going to drop a Mane or Salah, you know, that's for sure. They're your two wide attacking men and possibly, you know, two of the best forwards in the league. So so they're not going to give way. I think we're going to see a bit of rotation as the season goes on, aren't we, with Firmino and, and Jota. Um, I guess it will just be, you know, if one hits a real purple patch, then the other's going to suffer and struggle to get games. Um, if, if neither really kind of gets firing on a regular basis, you'll see them swap around. Um, um, I guess you could say it's a nice problem to have, though, isn't it? Because if you can throw all four of them on when, when you're able to, then there's four great forwards you've got at the club that will always cause anyone problems. But I don't think we'll see that too often. I think we're going to, you know, Firmino and, and Yotta will just kind of fit in and out and both will probably play similar amounts of minutes because you're not going to suddenly change Salah and Mane unless there's an injury that comes in throughout the season, which is highly likely. But unless that injury comes in, I think you'll see them to rotate on a regular basis. Yeah, I think Sunday was perhaps a case of Klopp trying to get one over Guardiola because Guardiola's probably looked at it in the week and thinking, right, I know Liverpool's best team. He wouldn't have expected a 4-2-4. And I think, you know, Liverpool tried to get away with that and try and win. It didn't quite work out for them. But Matthew, it was certainly a case of two penalties that afternoon in the first half. So the first I'm going to run past you. In terms of the decision, 
I don't think Carl Walker had much in terms of a case for the defence, did he? No, I think that was a pretty blatant one, I think. Of of the controversial, in quotation marks, penalty instance we've had this year, that one comes very, very low on the list. Yeah, I think as cast iron as it could be. So, Carl, the other one, down the other end, Joe Gomez was adjusted to have handled. Now, we're probably sitting here in our collective front rooms and thinking, oh, is that really handball? But the laws being the laws, I guess it really is, isn't it? Yeah, this is unfortunate, isn't it? Because this season, you know, by the letter of the law, you're going to give handball and a penalty in that situation. But, you know, we, we know, you know, these handball rules really need to be looked at because, again, you know, ha- has Gomez made himself bigger in that instance? Or is he just, you know, his momentum of the way he's running just puts his arm where it is? And when you look at the ha- the ball, it actually hits him on the elbow, which is right into his chest, isn't it? You know, it's it's as close to his body as you're going to get. Um, and you will look there and say that is, again, another one of them that's been given this season. That You say, well, by the letter of the law, you give the penalty, but it's harsh on the defender. Is he trying to gain an advantage by making his body bigger? I don't think so. You know, I think you've, we've seen them in the past where a defender sticks his leg up and then his arm up in the air. And we've not seen them given when it's hit. So I think this is just another one of them unfortunate ones this season that we'll see where a defender, it gets blasted at him, it hits his hand, and unfortunately the ref gives a penalty. Um, For me, it's not a penalty in that instance. I don't see what more he could do. I don't think he was drastically using his arm in an unfair advantage. But it is what it is, and, and we'll see more of them this season. Oh, yeah, it won't be the first one or the last one that we'll see this season. So, Matthew, in terms of... The penalty, which was then taken seconds later, Kevin De Bruyne, unlike him, puts it wide. So costly in the context of the afternoon, but how costly will it be in the context of the season? Um, I think it will be very crucial, and this gladly brings us back to what we were talking about earlier about you know who's going to be happier with the or you know with these sides be happy with the result. I think Liverpool will be breathing a huge sigh of relief over that one. Uh, no, I think Man City will rather, um, because even though they managed to get a point out of it, you'd look at the table as it is now. They're five points behind, and I think if if Kevin De Bruyne scores that penalty, then they are, if my maths is right, uh, add two minus one. Then they're only then they're only two points off, and we've seen that in previous seasons Liverpool do not let up in the way in the way they have. So that could very well be something that that comes and decides the title, similar to last year, two years ago, three years ago, when John Stones had the ball cleared off the line. So it could be one of those things that very much decides the, um, that could decide the title race. So I think Kevin De Bruyne, whilst it may not look that big now, could very well come down and regret that miss later on the season. Oh yeah, I mean, like you say, 18-19 season, it's a point difference, isn't it? Stone clears the ball from Salah, 11 millimetres was the difference. If that goes in, Liverpool win a first league title. So, you know, we won't know until the end of the season, but there is every chance, if the margins are as tight as they are, that could be a huge difference maker. Another difference maker, Cole, is injuries. And it seems that Liverpool's injury luck is just starting to desert them. The last two seasons, when they've been sort of dominating both home and abroad, they've never really had major injuries across the board. You know, you've had the odd one, but never a key man. Now, obviously, VVD's gone for probably the season. Not as big, but Alexander-Arnold's out for four weeks. So it's starting to sort of slightly unravel for Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, and I think, you know, what we could find is injuries this year could be the real difference between a team winning the title and not. Because, you know, we, we know there's a lot of football being played this year. And I think injuries and the team that kind of suffer the, the, the most serious injuries, if you like, 
we, we may find that, you know, we've got a strange season where, you know, a Leicester or even someone like a Spurs, if we stay lucky with injuries, could be in with a real title shout because I think we are going to see that the team that kind of gets away without that sort of injury run has a real good chance if they can keep some form. As you say, Liverpool have suffered some real blows this season with injuries, which, again, as you rightly said, then some will say, well, you know, it's their time because they've had at least a couple of seasons where they've been able to field almost their strongest 11 all season long. Um, I think these are big injuries that they've suffered, especially the ones, you know, you know, Van Dyke we know is going to be a massive blow for them because I think they look so much more assured when he's in their defence. And now, you know, Alexander-Arnold, we know what he contributes and what he brings to that side. So, again, that is a massive loss, not just defensively either for Liverpool. I think the biggest blow is what he offers them going forward. So they are two big blows. And like as you say, I think, you know, we could see a season where two injuries like that could really hinder a team. Um, we know we've got an international, you know, a mad international break coming up, which I can't believe we're having. Um, and again, I think all teams are sending their players away in now saying, well, listen, we really could do without this because we pick up some more injuries on that and we're really in trouble because we're missing two or three or four even of our best starting 11. Um, and Liverpool have been unfortunate and they will hope that that's the end because if they was to lose, say, you know, we know the goalkeepers had previous over the last couple of seasons of dropping down injured. And again, we've seen again, if you put Adrian in goal, Liverpool really suffer. Um, so they will be hoping that they don't get any more because we could see that any more injuries and it really may scupper their title chase again. Well, this is it, Matthew, because if you think at the moment, no VVD, no TAA for the next four weeks. Fabinho's out, Thiago's out. They are fortunate in the sense they've never really had a long-term injury to Salah or Mane. So if it's one of those, in the same sort of vein that how Harry Kane gets injured for Tottenham and the world implodes, that's the one scenario they really don't want. Yeah, I think and you mentioned I think they have just been lucky because we saw in the early part of Jurgen Klopp's reign there were a bunch of injuries as well as they got used to his system. I know a lot of people pulled up with, you know, muscle, hamstring and calf injuries. So I do think that maybe this is again a consequence of the pack schedule in that you know, if Jurgen Klopp wants his side to play the the normal, you know, gig and press, rock and roll football or whatever it is, the modern phrase is, if he wants to do it the same way in this packed season, there are going to have to be some sacrifices and some consequences of it. And it's probably up to him to try and work out, you know, how best to manage it. Whether that is, you know, dipping into the transfer market in January, for instance. Uh, I know they've been linked with a couple of players. Or if they're going to have to uh, resort to, dipping into the academy to fill to fill some spaces. It's going to be a bit of a tricky season for him, but he, he does come across as the sort of man that, A, will be able to handle it, and B, won't be using it too much of an excuse. I know we use the five subs rule, but when it comes to first-team players as a whole, I don't think he'll be looking at too much of an excuse. And I just want to say, don't start sleeping on Neko Williams. He's a fine right-back. Will be Wales's uh, first-choice right-back for the next couple of years. Do not write him off just yet. Okay, Matthew, duly noted. Right, moving on now, because we're going to the, into the international break with Leicester sitting top. And Cole, this one was also a tale of two penalties. In terms of the first one, is there much that Max Kilman could have done? Because when you consider his movement, his arms are sort of just part of his stride, really. So was that a, a harsh decision? Yeah, I think this is the same as the Liverpool one, isn't it? You know, lots of players are going to get caught out by this this year because they're running 
and sometimes the arm just goes in that movement as you're running. Um, and as we say, you know, when you're going to get smacked on the ball at, at, that, at the speeds it's being done at and, and the distance it's being done at, there isn't going to be a lot you can do to try and get your arms out of the way in certain situations other than potentially tying them to your sides with a piece of rope. You know, <laughs> maybe this will be the new defensive thing. They'll just have to be, listen, these, these rubber bands that we use in the warm-up, we're actually just going to strap these around your body and arms and we're going to have to try and... It's going to be like, it's a knockout where they're in those big suits trying <laughs> to run because right now, in the, the minute your hand goes up as a defender in your box, even if you can't help it and it's part of your natural movement, if the ball hits, you're going to get given a penalty. Um and I, like I say, this is why I think we're going to have to look at this handball rule and kind of say, you know, what is, if you like, an you know, exaggerated movement with the body to try and, if you like, stop a shot or put your arm in the way compared to what actually is a natural movement of the way you're running or the way your body's turning. Um, but again, yeah, for me, just an unfortunate one. And again, like I said about the earlier one, we're going to see a lot of these over the course of the season. And the the only thing that you might want to say with this for these for for all of these teams is that at least it might work itself out over the course of the season. You know, this week you might be on the wrong end of it. Next week you'll be on the right end of it, um, and you'll get one in the penalty box. But it, it still doesn't make it right. Matthew Anthony Taylor I was told to look at the monitor, and unusually seem to use slower angles in terms of, you know, the waves watching the, the replays coming back to him, which I believe you're not meant to do because obviously it always looks worse in that context. So do you think that skewed his decision-making or he's just gone to the monitor to confirm what he thinks he already knows? I think there's a little, I think there's a little bit of both. I know this has been one of the criticisms we draw, not with, not with, just with handballs, but with fouls and everything like that. They say if you look at, at a certain angle or at a certain speed, it makes it look worse. But I personally think you do need to, in some cases, look at it on a frame-by-frame frame rate because you need to be able to distinguish. Again, in close things like this, you're not going to be able to tell straight away if something is, you know, like like the handball thing, the position on the arm sort of thing, you're not going to be able to tell properly at full speed at the point of impact where it hits. So I think in that sort of circumstance, it's fine. In this case with Anthony Taylor, I think it was a case of, you know, just, I think we, t- we talked about this last week, just not trying to overrule anything, but just saying, I'm not so sure. I've given, I've given a decision. Let's just go back and double check it again and then reaffirm the decision. Yeah, I think you're right in that sense, Matthew. So, Cole, what did you make of the second penalty? Ray and eight Nari didn't have as good a game as he did the week before. That was his second performance of Wolves, not as strong. So he tumbled down Justin James. If we look at the two penalties in comparison, you get the feeling this one was far more cut and dry, wasn't it? Yeah, this one, you know, I don't think many people would have a problem with this one being given. Um, And just unfortunate for the lad, you know. But like I say, it's only his second game. Um, He started off so well. That unfortunately, when you score a sort of goal he did in his first game, you can only go downhill from there, can't you? The next week, you know, (laughs) and unfortunately, everyone will go, Oh, look, you know, look at that sort of performance. But you know, it it was unfortunate. He's finding his feet. Um, you know, we've seen more experienced players like Carl, you know, as we've seen with Carl Walker. You know, there's a guy with lots of experience still making silly tackles in the box, so I'm sure he'll learn from it. Um, you know, after that, I thought he still had a reasonably solid game. So, you know, I, I think Wolves shouldn't be too disappointed. But that penalty, I don't think there's many can argue. Matthew, what wasn't cut and dry was Vardy's taking of the second penalty. So what's your theory on players taking multiple penalties in a non-shootout environment? Should the takers be mixed up in such a situation? 
I'm that's a, that's a, that's a reasonable one because we've that that really has stunned me because you've got to think because it's a mind game, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you go one way for one penalty, then it's literally just who bluffs first. You know, do I go the same way? But he's going to think I go the same way. So do I go the other way? But I think he's going to. It is a bit of a weird one. Um, I. I know. I think. I think if you have a trusted penalty taker, more often than not, you've got to back yourself to score the penalty, you know, regardless of whether or not it's your first or first or second time, uh, first or second time round. Um, I think you know some of it does come down to luck. I think what's the figure? I think it's only like seventy-one percent of penalties are scored anyway. So there's going to be a little bit of leeway. But no, I think if someone like Jamie Vardy, who's you know been trusted in the past, I don't think that something like this is really going to uh, dis, uh, dissuade Brandon Rogers from saying if we get a second penalty then let someone else take it plus I do think in, in this modern age and so Jamie Vardy will probably be looking at it and saying you know I've got a golden boot to potentially think of so he's not going to want to give it away you know just for just for the sake of some um, you know, scientific stats or thing yeah, it's a fair point, actually. No one's giving up the penalties in the pursuit of uh, trinkets like that. So, a, a fair shout. There's no real wrong answer. I just thought it was interesting to see, like, if you're a manager, do you think, hey, OK, the goalkeeper might get this one second time around, but if someone as trusted as Vardy, you'd probably put all your faith in him, and usually it comes good. So, I think just an off day in terms of the second penalty. Well, not an off day for Tottenham, and they're splitting the pack between Leicester and Liverpool as they finish the, what should we say, this sort of, bracket of fixtures, that four set of fixtures in second in the table. So, Cole, Jose Mourinho's men were just about worthy of all three points at the Hawthorns, weren't they? Yeah, just. I mean, and it, and it was tight, wasn't it, Dan? You know, large chunks of that game, you have to give West Brom a lot of credit because, you know, I, I think they gave as good as they got. And I think what we saw in the end was just the differences between one team having a stronger bench that they could turn to. And then also the fact that you've then got a team that probably not used, still still not 100% used to the intensity of the Premier League and a team coming at them full, full on. Um, and I think what we just saw was eventually West Brom just flagged. And unfortunately, that defensive concentration just went for a second. And in this league, and especially against a team like us, who've got players like Son and Kane, bow and the sort of players you can bring off the bench if you do drop your guard for a second those players will certainly take advantage of it um, but I think West Brom will, can feel you know slightly unlucky and aggrieved because I think for large chunks of that game they, they kind of stood toe to toe and gave as good as they got OK for more Spurs chat on this topic go to the Come On You Spurs podcast because me and Cole have chat about this for about an hour last night so there's more on that so let's look at it from a West Brom point of view Matthew Still no win for the baggies this season. And the sack race, in terms of conversation, is just getting a little bit more interesting now, eight weeks in. Now, it's always a shame when promoted managers get put into this kind of bracket because you think, oh, OK, well, we're already forgetting what they've done last season. With that said, though, is the writing starting to be put on the wall for Slavin Village? Um, I do think so. And West Brom are a club that, you know, in the past have made very, you know, rash decisions when it's come to... Because they got rid of... Oh, his name's escaping me, but they got rid of someone when they were in the playoff places a couple Darren of seasons Moore. ago. Darren Moore, that was it. Uh, thought it was, but yeah. Um, so if they they are a club that if they think that something you know drastic is on the horizon, they will not be scared to they will not be scared to pull the trigger on that. Um, didn't they go from like Alan Pardew to Tony Pulis in one season as well? They they have a, they have a history of this. So if Slavin Bilic and West Brom don't start picking up points just yet or you know quickly then there will be some 
some debate to be had. The fact that you know their best chance of getting any points against the side against a fellow struggling side in us Fulham, and they didn't even turn up on that night does kind of show you that they're not prob that this side. Maybe it's the players, maybe it's a manager thing. Something's got to change, but they're not up for it just yet. So, Carl, they've drawn three of their eight matches, so they're not a complete bust. But when you look at what they've been conceding, it's already more than two goals a game on average. So that's the kind of ratio that really needs to be cut out if you've got any chance of staying up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you want to survive, then you've just got to look at a team like Sheffield United last season, haven't you? You know, you've got to be solid at the back. You know, don't concede silly goals left, right and centre um, and try and make sure that you've got enough up front to kind of score you some vital goals and nick games 1-0. Um, unfortunately, West Brom have seen that defensively, I think they're there. Although, as I say, that performance at the weekend was a much better performance from them. So I guess now for a team like them, it's building on that performance, making sure they can go into the next game and put in as good a defensive performance. And if they can get that kind of you know, level of form going across the rest of the season and suddenly just start picking up some goals, get their attacking players in form, they might be able to nick enough points. But that is easier said than done because we could find the next game they play, they get done three or four. Uh, and again, you're looking at a side that you say, well, this looks like relegation cannon fodder already. So, Matthew, if we go to the top end of the pitch, they have signed Carlin Grant in a bit to be sharper when it really matters. What have you made of his offerings thus far? Um, not uh, not a lot, to be honest, because but I don't I don't want to put the whole thing on him. He did have a very good season with Huddersfield last year. Yep. But again, this is one of these players that is going to take some time to adapt to the Premier League. But you do have to start wondering, he's going to have to pick up some form incredibly quickly. He's been, as I say, he's been OK, but not anything, not anything spectacular. He missed his best chance, uh, forget, uh, was through one on one against us a couple of weeks Well last week depending on how you uh, want to date it um but yeah is once i think once he gets the first goal he'll be okay but he's gonna have to work hard because i don't think west brom are the kind of team that will create many 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 chances for him so he's gonna have to be clinical when he does get the opportunity yeah that's a fair set a very fair assessment matthew so with west brom conceding 17 goals they are the Joint most generous side in the division at present with Leeds. Now, Carl, I said last week that after their 4-1 defeat to Leicester, Marcelo Bielsa would never allow that to happen again. Fast forward a week, what do I know? Because it happened exactly the same against Palace. So what happened there? Yeah, the, the, the curse of us happened. Yep. happened <laughs> We're um, back. And I'm, I'm sure we'll go into that again when we mention Everton later on. But... Um, yeah, I was very surprised. I have to see. I, I didn't see Palace scoring four. And like as you said, I didn't see Bielsa allowing his side to go and be that sloppy again. But they were really off of it this weekend. And, and I felt this weekend's game was a real worry for Leeds because that was some real sloppy defensive work on their part and some really silly goals to give away. Um, I think the difference with Leeds compared to, say, something like West Brom is I think Leeds have got a more attacking threat that will possibly see them through. But worrying signs on those two games, because as we say, if you're going to be that bad defensively in this league, you won't get away with it. You will get heavily punished. And then you're trying to look at possibly winning each week, like four threes and stuff like that. And it's not going to happen. So Bielsa will want to get them together, get them defensively sorted, um, because I don't think there's any issues going forward, but you can't give goals away like they did. Um, And when you're giving those sorts of goals away to a side like Palace, and that's no disrespect to Palace, but you wouldn't put them down as a team that could take many apart um, in that sort of manner, 
then I think that's where you start to just start to panic just a little bit. Yeah, Leeds are a weird team in the sense that that's the third time they conceded four goals in the game already this season. So that's 12 of their 17 goals. And then there's only other five matches. So they're averaging one everywhere else. So there's this real sort of boom and bust trajectory carrying on with Leeds at the moment. So you think, well, they're certainly not going to be dull and they are going to pick up points somewhere, but you'd be tearing your hair out really because you can't be going continuing for most weeks. It's just not a blueprint to keep you in the division. So they do need to be mindful of that. At the same time, Matthew, there's every chance that their defeat might not have been as emphatic or it could have been completely different in terms of a result had Patrick Bamford's other goal, in inverted commas, stood. With that said, have we now reached the nadir in terms of bizarre VAR decisions? Um, I think we have, but at some, st- uh, but I, I personally, I want to put, I want to put the blame on Patrick Bamford on this one because oh, the wow. whole reason, the, the whole reason he's uh, like what I said is because he's pointing for where he wants the ball to go. Now, Patrick Bamford, in that situation, when the ball is where it is and you are where you are, why do you have to point? It's not as if the, he's asking for the ball to go out to the corner flag. The players should know where the ball is going. Keep your arm down in that situation. You know, Again, this goes back to the defenders. You know what the rules are in regards to the handball. Players should know in the same thing. You know, if, if it's marginally offside, just take a little bit of a step back and, you are, and you'll be fine. But I do agree with you on the... Uh, on the general point of the offside, yeah, it is starting to get just that little bit. Are we no lags everywhere last season with offside? Are we really sort of going to start disallowing goals for that marginal thing? I think we, I think we've talked about it in the past. I know it's been a general point. If you want to bring like a a cricket rule in, like um, you know, an umpire's call, and if it's within a certain margin, then you just you know play too close to call sort of thing. If you want to carry that on, fine by me. But at the same time, I do think some of it does fall on the players. So, Carl, with that what in mind... I think in, yeah, carry on, Carl. Sorry, sorry, Dan. What I think was interesting, I think I saw something in the week where... I think it's I, it's IFAB, isn't it? IFAB. Yeah. And and they have turned around and said that they don't they don't want VAR to be used in the way that we're using it with those dotted lines and everything being used that closely. You know, I think I think they're actually completely against that sort of thing being done. You know, their view is if you've got to start drawing stuff like those dotted lines and that, then the view is that it's not a clear and cut decision, and you shouldn't be going into that sort of level of, of kind of detail to try and get an offside decision. So I think it's really weird. I say, I'm sure I saw it in the week. I can't remember where, but IFAB themselves are actually not fans of the way it's being used when it's like that, where you're drawing the lines and the dotted lines going up because they're completely against that being used, which I thought was interesting as to why we carry on doing it and the sense that you kind of think that maybe when you've got to go that in detail to try and get someone offside, we then start sitting there saying, you know, may, maybe we have to give it that if it is that tight, we go in favour of the striker. Well, I think what the problem is, is that if you use goal line technology as the sort of benchmark of technology that assists referees, that's absolute. There's only one answer, isn't it? It's either yes or no. The problem is we're trying to get to that level with offside and you need to use the dots to get to that kind of absolute answer, which then asks, do you really need to be that level of minutiae? Probably not, but then the Premier League always likes to be seen as different and the bastion of, you know, the best league in the world and we'll do it our way and sod IFAB if it's not quite in tune with what they believe. So I think there's an element of ignorance from the Premier League and this is the sort of the problems that are created. But I'll stay with you, Carl, because Matthew's point about he blames Patrick Bamford, is that not just a striker's instinct? Because you are just going to go, just pop it, yeah, pop it over the top. Like, you can't really blame a striker for, for doing that because it's not really... 
telepathic in the sense that I know some partnerships are like Kane and Son. There's no real sort of, it's just, they just connect beautifully. But sometimes you are going to have to give your midfielder a bit of a sieve, say, look, just drop it in. Yeah, yeah, I will say that was said with a heavy, heavy dose of sarcasm. Oh, right. <laughs> it's not total, but there was a, just a little bit of sarcasm in there. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, though, it is harsh, isn't it? Because as you say, Dan, you know, you do naturally just point like, you know, yeah, just just there. Um, so I, I think, you know, this is where we have got to say, haven't we? You know, how, how correct do we want decisions to be? Um I wonder if in that instance, you know, we know we're saying that the reason he's offside now is because you can potentially score with the top of your arm. Uh, I would sit there and say, you know, could you possibly look at that? And if the goal is scored by that arm, then you start looking and thinking, well, OK, was it was his arm offside? But in that instance, I think it's a really harsh one. And we don't know one. I don't think you'll find anyone in football, even Palace fans that day, that would say to you they want that goal ruled out for offside. Um, in that instance, you know, just because the guy was pointing where he wants the ball and now the top of his arm is off. And this this is where I think we still got to iron out these these issues and, and these rules um, because we've, we've seen, haven't we? Not everyone thinks that this decision was crazy. We said last week, didn't we, that the Brighton issue would get lost because the following week yeah. we'll have another incident that will just take over and be just as ridiculous. And, and hey-ho, here we are this week looking at an offside where a guy is offside because he pointed. Um, I do think we've got to get on top of these decisions um, because it is, you know, fans are becoming slightly disinterested when you're seeing these decisions given. Now, Palace will take it. But again, I'm sure if you ask most fans of any club, would you want to see that given offside normally? They'd all turn around and say to you, no, that's ridiculous. You know, I want it to be given offside if the bloke is clearly in front of the defenders gaining an advantage. But there, you know, where in the rules does it say you can't point? Um, and it's just unfortunate that the top of his arm is um, is over that line. But it's a ridiculous decision. Um, and, and it is, unfortunately, killing, killing the game at the moment. So, Matthew, if we move away from all things VAR... Palace's third goal was a Helder Costa own goal. Is there much that Ilan Mesede could have done there? Was it a freak occurrence, or did he leave himself too exposed at the near post? Um, I think a little. I think a little bit of both. I think in in most cases, when it's an own goal, most of the blame sort of gets taken away. Even with deflections, you know, what commentator will always say, "Could the keeper have done better?" Oh, it's got a deflection. So I think it, I think in that case it would be very harsh to sort of criticise Ilan uh, Melier, Mesty, however you want, however you want to pronounce it. Um, but I have got, I have said on this podcast in the past that I do think Melier will be a very good goalkeeper for Leeds United. I've watched him a couple of times in the Championship and for their academy last season. I think he's he's got something about him, and he will takes and I would he will take like like a lot of players will he will take some time to get used to the Premier League and in that situation I don't want I don't want to put too much like blame on him personally. Okay, talking to goalkeepers, back in the spotlight, Jordan Pickford didn't really do anything too dramatic, but Everton lost again. Now Ancelotti said he wasn't going to play, and he did, so he sort of pulled the wall over all of our eyes. But Cole, in the wider context, Everton have hit the skid since the Merseyside derby, three defeats in a row now. Yeah, yeah, they, they have, haven't they? From that early season form, and, and we were sitting there saying, well, you know, if, if they can carry on playing like that. And I guess, you know, it was what we were saying, wasn't it? Which is the only trouble is, can they carry on playing like that? And then what happens when you kind of hit the skids? Um, the mark of a good side, isn't it, is if you lose one, you then go on an unbeaten run of six or seven games after that, even if you get some draws, but you become really difficult to beat. And unfortunately, Everton have kind of lost one and then 
suddenly lose a couple on the bounce. And before you know it, it just takes momentum, take, take, sucks all the life out of the squad. And you suddenly start thinking, oh, actually, we're not as good as we are. That kind of confidence dips. And I think we've kind of seen that with Everton, unfortunately. Um, obviously, Matthew last week didn't do them any favours, um, as, as I'm sure you'll discuss in a minute, um, with, with Calvert-Lewin. Um, <laughs> but they, they've got to try and pick themselves up and get a result again. Um, because, like I say, momentum is massive. And if you suddenly start you know, losing two, threes and fours on the trot, before you realise it, the season's starting to fizzle out you're too far from that leading pack and you've got to try and play catch up and it never really works works that well as we've seen with countless teams over the years. Well, it's funny you should mention a certain Calvert-Lewin because, Matthew, it does seem that the kazoo has taken on quite magical powers now and that kazoo in itself seems to hold the career trajectory of Calvert-Lewin in its very hands. It does, and I'm quite conscious of the fact that it's International Week, and I can't seem to locate it. Oh, no. I, I had to move. I had to move some stuff around my room this week, and I've lost my kazoo. So I don't even want to. I, I don't even want to have like a practice go sort of thing. But yeah, it it is absolutely baffling the fact that it's now seemed to it seemed to become a, a thing. But just on Everton, but just on Everton in general, I th- I think we starting to I think they just may be a sort of victim of their early success because when we said at the start of the season you know, things are going to be abnormal and you know teams not getting up to fitness and other teams with weird pre-seasons some players adjusting some players not so on and so forth I think now it's just literally just a case of everything becoming back to normality as it were because if you look at where things were last season even though Everton have improved slightly with the manager and the players that they have again a, th- a 3-1 loss at home to Man United isn't really that shocking of a result when you think about it. So I think this could just be a case of Everton going back to, you know, as I say, normal. If I look at the Premier League table, where are they? Seventh. That's probably about where they are and where they should be in the grand scheme of things. So I don't want to, I don't want everyone to say, oh, Everton were frauds at the start of the season. No, I think everyone was just overhyping them and just getting a little bit overexcited. Yeah, I think their form sort of recalibrated that if you took the first eight games and said to them at the start of the season, you're going to earn 13 points. They'd say, yeah, actually, that's probably about fair, but they've just front-loaded all their points earnings and then they've sort of run out of the ability to score more. So, yeah, they are where they are, really, and it's just neither crisis nor um, great. I think it's just par. So, Matthew, I'll stay with you because Bruno Fernandes stole the show on Saturday. Two goals and an assist. Now, Oli doesn't know his best team yet, but the Portuguese international is certainly making a case to be his best player. Yeah, absolutely. I think we discussed this last week in regards to you know Man United and how many options they have in central midfielder, um, in central midfield. I think Bruno Fernandes has put himself down as the first name on the team sheet, not just in midfield, but I think the rest of the rest of the squad as well. And it's somewhat fascinating the fact that you know we talk about players having to get used to the Premier League. He came in and he hit the ground running when he came in 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 January, and he just managed to he just managed to carry on that form. And I think he's just very lucky that he's at a big club you now, as it were, because otherwise, you know, if he was putting on these performances at a you know, at an Everton or a Southampton or a Villa, say, then the next thing we'd be saying is, oh, he'll be on a move to Man United or he'll be on a move to Man City in a couple of months. Whereas now he's probably at a stage where he can be you know that you know that controlling influence and help may United get back to where they you know where they think at least they should be so Cole United's win has given Ollie a stay of execution but are we just waiting for another month down the line when the guillotine gets prepped again 
Yeah, he, he seems to have this knack, Ollie, doesn't he? That just just when the momentum starts to gather, that everyone thinks he's out of a job, and and everyone's lining potch up to return and take that job, he manages then to go and stick a run of results together where you go, oh well, actually, hold on a minute, they've won that one, they beat PSG away or something like that, and you start going, oh, actually, hold on, Ollie's at the wheel. Let's leave him at the wheel. Um, it's so hard to see, isn't it? Because they're so patchy this season, United. They can be brilliant one minute and then just utterly dreadful the next. I found it's interesting that, you know, they seem to do better when they've got that McTominay-Fred um, combination in centre midfield um, and Pogba's not playing. Um, so, you know, again, you sit there and go, well, once they've got those two workers in and they just leave Fernandez and the guys up top to do their business, they look a little bit more solid. But... It is hard to know with United this season. They are so hit and miss. Um, I still wouldn't be surprised though if we see if they go on a dip. I wouldn't be surprised to see that you know if Oli isn't there come the end of the season. I guess it will all be about how how well they get out of that Champions League group, how well they progress there. If they're not in and around that top four position um, come sort of you know end of January, February, will they look to make a change? Um, you're not too sure. But Oli does seem to have this magic wand that just as it's looking a little bit dour for him, he can manage to pull the rabbit out of the hat and give himself a stay of execution. And Matthew, what did you make of his comments regarding scheduling? Because he said that United were set up to fail having to play so early after their trip to Turkey, but... Tottenham would have had the same problem, albeit in different locations, 24 hours later. So is that a flat argument? Um, I do. I do think there are some merits to it. I know it's it's been a thing a couple of, in a couple of seasons. You know, uh, if you're playing if you're playing late on Wednesday, the fact that you have to play the early Saturday game does put you at a bit of a disadvantage. You know, if they had played the evening Saturday game, probably not that big of a deal. I do think there is, again, some merit to it. If Jose Mourinho was making this argument, I think it would have been made a lot more headlines, personally, just because of the way just because the way he vocalises things. But again, but at some stage, I do have to say no sympathy for me because you are Manchester United. You are the biggest club in the world with an academy that goes back to like the 1700s or something. I'm sure. If there's any club out there that is meant to sort of have the facilities and the players at their disposal to get through it, you'd think it is these top four guys. You know, I'd understand it somewhat if Brendan Rodgers was saying it with Leicester, who aren't quite at the same stage. But when it comes to Man United, at some stage, it does sound a bit like, nah, just get on with it, mate. So, Carl, last week we were trusting the Arsenal process. Fast forward a week, that process has been brought to a shuddering halt. That was a really bad performance to follow up after such a good one at Old Trafford. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I mean, you know, that, that was an absolute horror show and a, and a day to forget at the office from the, from the first minute to the last. Um, and Arsenal need to make sure that, you know, that that sort of performance doesn't happen again because they were, you know, they were bullied. They were just out full. You know, Villa were quicker to everything. Um, and Arsenal looked pretty dire, to be honest. Um, it's, it's not, you know, Aubameyang is well off the mark, isn't he? You know, since signing that contract, um, I think he's, you know, one goal from the penalty spot um, and his goals have completely dried up this season. I don't think he's helped by them playing him out on the left at all. I'm not really really sure what the thinking behind that is because you know he was doing well as their main front man they kind of moved him over to the left which doesn't seem to be working so you think you'd kind of change that early on but 
they were just dreadful the other night. And, and those are the sort of performances that we've said before, haven't we? As good as Arsenal suddenly can be, and you then think, oh, is this a turning point for them? They can then go and revert back to tight. And you sit there and go, oh, well, wow. You know, they were really bad there. And, and I just still think that defensively, they're just going to come unstuck far too often. And Arteta has got a job on his hands to try and get them out of that and stop them being that poor. But I don't see how they can be as poor as that again this season. So, Matthew, Villa had him on strings on Sunday night, it's fair to say. And although Ollie Watkins will get the plaudits for his brace, the link-up play between Jack Grealish and Ross Barkley is quickly becoming one of the most fun things to watch in the division at present. It is, and you just got to start to wonder whether or not Gareth Southgate is paying well, any not, attention to <laughs> exactly, because um, it's due because um, of, of Birmingham's Jude Bellingham has got a call up um, in place. It's in place of Ross Parker, isn't it? I haven't been paying too much attention to the England squad. You have to someone clarify me on that. I've, I've only seen in, he's in. I didn't know he's replaced anyone. Or like I said, I know he's got ahead of Marcus Madison. Is is uh, one of, no Marcus Madison, the one at Leicester. Yeah, uh, that guy. Um, yeah, you do have to start to wonder whether or not there is a case of you know chip on the shoulder if Grealish and Barkley are saying well hang on Gareth look at it you want some creativity you want some flair you want some explosiveness get yourself down to Villa Park um yeah it is fascinating I think Aston Villa are just on a on a bit of an upswing surge again not like a Leicester of the season they barely stayed up and then went on to win the title but I think just after that season they finally kicked onto them right lads we got to do things properly here and they've gone and bought some you know some excellent players for for decent value Ross Barkey was on a loan I believe yep. and Ollie Watkins for you know what they've paid for him at the moment is looking like an absolute steal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Watkins worth every penny if the goals continue as they are. So, Cole, I think looking at Barkley, what summed up for me was that back hill in the build-up to the first goal. So, looking at that, you can tell he's brimming with confidence just by getting regular minutes. Now, I know that doesn't actually create the goal as such, but it certainly shows a player whose tail is up at the moment. Yeah, I I think he's got the the right move for him, to be honest, Dan. You know, it's one of them, wasn't it? You know, he's one of those players that if he goes somewhere and becomes a fringe player, then the guy just kind of fizzles away and you end up kind of forgetting about him. I think it was a great move for him to go to Villa because he can link up with Grealish. Um, They've got the freedom to go and be expressive in that side. And, you know, we have seen from Barkley that if he's on fire, he is a really good player, you know, and and he does have the ability to do what he did the other night. Um, He just now needs to find a home, I think, And someone like Villa this season could be the perfect platform for him to get regular first team minutes, become a key player for them. And like, as you say, we saw a few bits the other night where at one point he was almost dancing with the guy, wasn't he? You know, the Arsenal defender who become a bit like strictly come dancing (laughs) at one point. Um, And he has just got that confidence and swagger now. And and I think that will just build. And obviously if Villa continue to play like that, you know, I thought the cross he did for the Watkins goal in the second half was brilliant. You know, to hit a first time cross the way he did, um, that was a stunning goal um, on all counts. And, you know, if he can continue that form, he'll be knocking on the England door and, and, you know, he will give, you know, Gareth a slight issue as to, well, do I play him? I think the biggest issue with Barkley has always been consistency and can he keep that kind of form up for a longer run of games and just say two or three and then fizzle away and not put some performances in. But let's hope he's found somewhere that he can do that now. So, Matthew, as for Arsenal, would you like Mesut Ozil's new job of getting paid 350 grand a week to play the role of Twitter hype man? 
Yeah, this does seem to be one of the because of, of, there's there's, all, there's always going to be going to be questions about it. You know, and every, every team I'm sure has the questions of oh how can he leave that person out for the for the league season? I think this might be the biggest mistake that uh, Mikel Arteta has made in in the whole squad thing. You know, was Mesut Özil? You know, was he the best player last season? I mean, you know, he had probably hasn't been the best player at Arsenal since about 2015, maybe 16 when Sanchez came in. But you would rather have him as an option rather than, as you say, just sitting on the, well, not even sitting on the bench because he's not even in the squad, sitting you know, at home for 350 grand a week doing absolutely nothing. So, yeah, it is. this is probably going to be one of those things that will come back to buy Arteta. They probably will be fine. They probably will scrape a Europa League spot off the back of off the back of this season. But it will be one of those, if they miss out by, you know, four or five points, you will start to think, could Mesut Ozil have created the chances to get us goals, to get us wins, to get us those extra points? Well, I don't know if top six is a given, unless they win the FA Cup, to be honest. I just don't think they're consistent enough. I think there's, you know, Leicester, Wolves... Southampton, I don't think you can rule them out either. So I wouldn't get too excited about Arsenal. I know that's from a Spurs fan's point of view, but I look at that squad and I don't even really see a world-class player there anymore. Aubameyang aside, who's really in bad form, I just don't think they've got the, the personnel at present. But, Matthew, unfortunately for you, it is time. We have to talk about Saturday night. Now, do you want the context of the game, or should we just get straight to the penalty? Now, let's just cut straight to it. Do you mind if I take? Do you mind if I just? I assume I assume you had a question no, lined just, up for me. Do you mind it. if I just take it away? Yeah. Yeah. It was an abomination, disgrace, the worst thing that I've seen a Fulham player ever do. And I've seen Bobby Zamora shush our own fans um, oh. for give, for giving him stick. It was, you know, you know, I. Part of me under there is a small part of me that understands it because you're you're trying to trick the goalkeeper. But in that situation, if you're going to take a penalty like that, you have to be confident with what you're doing. And if he'd have taken it, you know, an out, you know, Stuart Pearce or Chris Waddle in Italia ninety, no Fulham fan would have battered an eyelid. But if you do it like that. You have to score, otherwise you look like a complete and utter wazzock. And unfortunately, not only has he done that to him, he's done that. Now Fulham are basically the laughing stock of the Premier League, which I went through in 2018-19. And in all honesty, it wasn't all that fun. But it is getting to that set. We're probably going to be that this season because until he does something... And he does need to do something. He came out and apologised, but actions will speak louder than words. Until he scores a 30-yard screamer to win a game or, you know, puts in a man-of-the-match performance and gets us a point where we should have lost or gets us a win when we should have drawn sort of thing, he is going to have that hanging over him all season. And again, if it comes down to, you know, two points at the end of the season for whatever it may be, yes, we may look around the other 37 games, but I guarantee you 99.999 recurring percent of Fulham fans will look to that moment and say that was what, you know, that was the biggest reason why bad things have happened for us. Right, that's off your chest. From a neutral's point of view, Carl, what was your take on the penalty? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it's one of them, isn't it? You know, uh, and it's been said already, when you're going to take a penalty like that, it, you have to score because when you don't, you don't look a plonker, don't you? Um, and and it's, it's OK if you're three or four up and the game is done and you miss that. Everyone just laughs it off and says, oh, well, you know, game was won, doesn't matter. And, and you can kind of sleek away and no one kind of remembers it. But in a situation when you're in a fight like Fulham are, 
and every point is going to be precious. You get a lifeline at the end of the game like that. You just need someone to step up and say, listen, no egos here. Don't try to do anything fancy. Stick this away. We get out of here with a point. And then we're starting to say, listen, you know, a couple of good games here, back to back now. We can build on this. Unfortunately, he's just gone and kind of undone all of that by trying to do, a, you know, having a bit of an ego and kind of, oh, look, I'll do something really fancy in a pressure situation. And yes, if it comes off, we're all sitting here going, oh, classy, cool, what a cool guy. But when it doesn't, you just make yourself look really silly. And rightly, people will look at you and go, what are you doing? You know, it's the last kick of the game. You just need to be professional here and put this away in a manner that, you know, you know, respect the moment, respect the team and the season. And he just didn't do that, unfortunately. Uh, and like, you know, as we're saying, a season when you're fighting for every point, you cannot afford to give them away sloppily like that. Matthew, in terms of the game itself, West Ham are very quick out of the blocks and Ariola was called into action quite a few times, made a, a number of saves throughout the game. So I thought personally, Fulham were value for a point. And I think, you know, it's a shame that the penalty had tarnished such a, a decent performance. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of and a lot of Fulham fans are saying that you know, take away the uh, take away the win at the start, you know against West Brom early in the week. This was our best performance of the season because West Brom are a struggling side. West Ham probably a step above, and we did it. We did enough. You know, Ariola did did fantastically in goal. Um, we kept them out for you know most you know for the for the best part. Uh, we created a couple of chances ourselves, although nothing really clear cut. I think a point would have been a fair result for for both sides. I think we probably West Ham probably shaded it in terms of overall who played better on the day. But I don't think you know Fulham fans wouldn't have been disappointed with a point out of that. So to then have it based to have it, then get it taken away by the last minute winner, and then have it taken away again by Lookman's idiocy is just you know it's two kicks in the teeth, which I don't know if you can have because you get your kick. Teeth knocked out one side. You can't. It's a kick in the teeth and then it's a kick in the gums. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Very good. Lovely analogy. So, Cole, in terms of their winner, West Ham's, should that have been offside? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think Fulham can feel really unlucky there because, to me, yeah, that cross is put into that player. Um, now, just because he misses it, um, I, I actually feel that should have been given as offside because the ball is played into the guy who's offside. Um, that's all he's looking for. And the, the Fulham defender has to clear it because it's gone there. Um, and if the flag goes up there and he's off, then, you know, no, I don't think anyone can complain if that had been given as offside. So I feel Fulham were really harshly done with there because when I looked at it, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, we see the Villa goal given because the defender is in, the forward is in the line of the goalkeeper. Well, to me, that's a similar sort of incident. You know, when you've got a forward in the box and the ball is played in, if defenders are looking to defend that guy, um, he, he should rightly be given offside, even if he doesn't touch it, because the defenders are having to clear it because of him. Um, so I feel Fulham, you know, can feel slightly aggrieved on that goal. Right, we've got five minutes left. So let's mop up the rest of the weekend's action. Very quick fire, Carl. I'll go back to you. Southampton versus Newcastle. It was a case of, I know, a relay, really, of who was going to be sitting at the top of the table. They started it on Friday night. A 2-0 win. But when you look at the goals that they scored, I think Newcastle were masters of their own downfall. 
Yeah, they were, weren't they? You know, some some real sloppy defending. Um, but I think Southampton will be really pleased with that result because obviously with Danny Ings being out, you suddenly started sitting there thinking, well, could the could the goals dry up for them and could this really knock their season off the rails? But I think they did really well. You know, it's a professional performance. They they got those two goals and they've kind of given themselves some momentum to say, well, look, yes, although Ings is going to be out, we should be able to keep going the way we're playing here. So I think that was a really good win for Southampton. And Matthew, I guess in the end it was a routine win for Chelsea, although Sheffield United took the lead through David McGoldrick. Hakam Ziyech, the man of the match, because he was having United all, well, all ends up really, wasn't he? A masterclass performance at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one of these, you know, a lot of people were doubting Frank Lampard um, going into last season. Oh, can he make the adjustment? I think the players that he signed and the way he's managed to coach something, they were they were good players. But the fact he's managing to get the best out of them and, you know, managing to find space for the likes of, as you say, Zayat and Werner and Pulisic and all the other class players that they have. I think that's a credit to Frank Lampard as much as it is a credit to the individual players. Lovely stuff. And I'll take Brighton Burnley. It was a dour 0-0 draw, one that really sort of drove home the fact we're in lockdown. You've got to stay and watch that. I'm glad I didn't pay 14.95 for it, so there's some mercies. Also glad that the Premier League have seen fit and they're going to be scrapping pay-per-view now, basically. So very quickly, we've got about two minutes. So, Cole, how do you fix a problem like the Christmas schedule? Yeah, cra- cra- you know, you've got a crazy schedule coming up. But I-, I think what really doesn't help and what's hard to swallow right now are these international breaks that we're, we, you know, we, we seem to have had so many international breaks. I've never remembered so many breaks to a season starting for, the, for internationals. Um, and I think you've got to look at these sorts of fixtures and just go, well, look, you know, we do need to help some of these players. And, and you know, when you consider the seasons they're going to have, um, this season are already compact and we're rushing a lot of games in and teams haven't had the full rest they normally would. Um, you've also then, when you consider you, we've got the situation with COVID going on that we have, I find it ludicrous that we're scheduling all these international games and we haven't sort of said, well, listen, we need to cut these breaks back. We can then give the players a little bit more rest um, because their seasons are compact as it is. They're not going to get many rests. But I think these sorts of fixtures... This is really going to tell, in my opinion, you know, again, like I say, this could have real impact on who wins the title this year because the team that can kind of come through that Christmas period and that with the least injuries, I think has a real shot at winning a title. And I think this will see a season where we could, again, see a Leicester-type season where a team that we weren't expecting to wins the league. Yeah, I think the fox hunt has already begun. Matthew, in a word, Bale was seen with some ice after the West Brom game on his ankle. Is that a sort of genuine injury or a sort of precautionary measure, or is it Mourinho mind games for international football? Um, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to hyphenate this. He's fine. He's hyphen fine. One word. That'll do. That's all I need. Perfect. Right, we've hit full time. So just need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two guests today, Matthew. Thank you for your time. As always, an absolute pleasure. Yep, not a, not, a, not a bother. Even if Fulham aren't exactly giving me the cheeriest of reasons to come on, I'll always gladly talk about the rest of the Premier League. Make me cheer myself up. Top man, I always appreciate it. And Cole, the captain's armband is going nowhere. Thank you for your time. I hope you join me next Tuesday. Yeah, definitely, Dan. L- looking forward to it. And I hope for Matthew's sake, Wales give him um, some joy because um, he deserves it after this week. He certainly does. Right, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time... Goodbye.
Podcast Network.